Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 171. Today, we are going to do an update on our book recommendations to each other. These are the book recommendations we did back in episode 139. So if you haven't listened to that one, you can also check that out. Before we get started with our bookish check-in, we want to remind you that we have a newsletter that comes out every month at the beginning of the month. And then we have a mid-month newsletter that comes out. And uh, we have lots of awesome things that we are curating in there. So definitely check that out. You can sign up on our website. That is www.unabridgedpod.com. So just go check out, sign up for the newsletter and get all of that good information sent right to your inbox. Now we are going to start with our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading right now? So I just started one on audio. This one is thanks to Libro FM, and it is Raquel Vasquez, Gillian's Sia Martinez, and The Moonlit Beginning of Everything. And this one I was really intrigued by when I saw it come out because it is the cover is really inviting and it looks kind of magical. So I was interested in this one. It caught my attention. And so this is about Sia Martinez and she is in school as the story opens and you come to see that her mom is missing and has been gone for three years and believed to be dead. She is Mexican-American, and her mom was Mexican and was deported. And I don't know all the details. That becomes clear as the book continues, but it's clear that there is involvement of a student who is a boy who she had some connection with and his father, who's an officer, that led to her mom's deportation. So there's a lot of grief that she's experiencing, but also a lot of hurt feelings about what transpired that led to that situation. And her mom had lived in the States since she was an infant. And so it was a nasty situation that happened and had a profound impact on Sia. And then her mom tried to, after waiting years and trying to get back to her family, her mom tried to cross the border and since then has not been seen. And so she is grieving from that, but also, you know, trying to maintain her life. She's going to school. She has a great friend, Rose, and they are experiencing normal teen things and doing their best to move forward. But she also, her grandmother always lit candles for her mom on the new moon and would have a ritual that she was doing to maintain hope for her mom's return. And so she picks up that tradition of going out into the desert and she has a ritual that she does to continue to light the way for her mom. And she's tried to come to terms with the fact that she believes her mom is dead, but Rose, her friend, and obviously her grandmother had been holding on hope that her mom could be alive and they don't, they don't know definitively. And so 
all of that is happening. And there also is a new boy in town who has gotten everyone's attention. And he also has gotten Sia's attention, but it's because the place where she goes in the desert to have her ceremony, he also goes. So this is like considered her kind of private space. And there's this truck there that she feels is really invading her space, what she considers to be her territory. And then she comes to realize that this is the new guy at school who is in that space. And so I think it's a great story so far. I haven't gotten into very much, but I can tell that something unusual is coming and um, and seems like really fun. I mean, I think that a lot of the things that I described are really heavy and they are real experiences that people are having in America and that is being addressed, but it also is just a really inviting story and is a lot of fun to experience and Sia is a great character. And so, yeah, I'm loving it. So again, that is, oh, and I didn't say, but the moonlit beginning of everything is what she calls that area. And that becomes apparent the first time she sees Noah, the guy, because she says, well, this is the beginning of everything, like this space. And that's why she's kind of territorial about it. So again, that is Raquel Vasquez Gillian's Sia Martinez and the moonlit beginning of everything. And I think it's great so far. I'll have to report back when I get farther in, but I'm loving it. Yeah. I can't wait to hear your review. Yes. Same. Sounds wonderful. Jen, what are you reading? So I am almost done with Mieko Kawakami's Breasts and Eggs. This is a work in translation that is on the Tournament of Books shortlist. And I'm almost at the end of those. So this is my next to last book for the TOB. And I am really enjoying it. I was sitting here as always thinking about how I was going to describe it. And it's tough because I would say this one has very little plot. It is very much an internal book. There are three women who are at its center and it is about what is going on in their heads. And so one character is unnamed through most of the book and she is 30 years old. And then her sister, Makiko, comes to Tokyo to visit her with her daughter, Midoriko. And the two sisters grew up extremely, extremely, extremely poor. Their mother died of cancer when they were quite young and left a lot of debt behind. And then their grandmother raised them. And she also died when they were just a little bit older. And so the sisters essentially raised each other. And so their poverty has had a definite impact on both of their lives that you can see from page one. And when Makiko comes, she is obsessed with having a breast enhancement surgery. And the narrator just does not understand because she knows what her financial situation is like. She knows what her life is like. She's a single mother raising this 13-year-old daughter. They do not have any excess cash. And yet she has been talking for a year about this surgery and has decided to visit her sister primarily to have a consultation with this group that does breast enhancement surgery. And her daughter has not spoken with her for almost a year. She only writes her messages and you see her journal through the story, but otherwise we don't hear her voice at all because she, something happened with her and her mother's relationship and she just stopped talking at all. 
So it's all of these things. You're just trying to get into these characters' heads and to understand them. They don't really understand each other. Sometimes they don't understand themselves. And so it's, I know that probably doesn't sound very, very captivating because there's not a lot of forward motion, but the writing and translation is so strong that I have just been compelled since I began the book. So I wouldn't call it fast paced, but it is absolutely compelling. And I am really looking forward to seeing how everything wraps up. I, I don't want to give any spoilers about part two, but I will just say that part two of the book takes place 10 years later. So that's been really interesting too, that there was so much to unravel about their lives at the beginning and then we see what has happened 10 years later and some things have changed and some things have not. So yeah, it is just a brilliant book and I wish I could do it justice, but I do think it's a reading experience worth having yourself. So that is Mieko Kawakami's Rests and Eggs. That one sounds fascinating. Yeah, I, I'm interested in it and I am wanting to read more books in translation. So yeah, that sounds great. I will say it's pretty long. So that's the one thing... I don't know that I would have picked it up right now if it weren't for the tournament of books. That's one reason I love the tournament of books, but it gives me that little extra push because it it is long, but it's, again, it's well worth it. So, all right, Sarah, what are you reading? I, it's funny because when I was thinking about what I was going to talk about today for book is check-in, I feel like I'm being influenced by my friend, Ashley, <laughs> and I have a st- I have like seven books I've started because <laughs> I have so many things I want to read. And every night I think, oh, but I just really want to see about this one. So I have seven things that I'm reading. They're all vastly different, but nonetheless, there are seven to choose from. <laughs> How it goes. <laughs> uh, so I am reading V.E. Schwab's The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Jen talked about this several episodes ago. And when she was talking about it, I just thought it sounded fascinating. So it's been sitting on my TBR stack. And I, I just have wanted to read it. And I have other things I need to read. And I said, I'm just going to start it. If I can fit it in between the other things I, ha- I have to read then I'm going to do it. And I've started it and it is just such an interesting story. But I, what I am so struck by is the beautiful writing. I've never read anything by V.E. Schwab. I've heard other people talk about her work, but the writing is transformative. I mean, I just am so impressed. And I have also been listening to some of it because my library, yay, Libby, had <laughs> had the audiobook. So I've been able to switch back and forth. And the audio is just gorgeous. And anyway, this is the story of Addie LaRue, her Adeline. And she is a woman living in, or a young woman, I should say, living in the early or in the 1700s, early 1700s. And she is being forced into a relationship, a marriage that she does not want. And she is a dreamer and she has all of these things she wants to do. And she, you know, she doesn't want to be tied down. And so when she's kind of forced into this relationship, she makes a deal with the darkness and basically trades her soul for an untethered life. Well, because she made this deal with the darkness, the darkness kind of takes advantage of that in her, the deal, he keeps up his end of the bargain in that she has an untethered life, but in that no one ever is able to remember her and she's not, and she loses her name and she is not able to make a mark anywhere. 
and it's definitely not what she wanted. He tricks her. And so the story is basically goes back and forth in a timeline from like the 1700s into 2014 and what is happening with her in the beginning when she first gives up her soul and then how she is living in the current day. So it goes back and forth. And it, I mean, I I really love it. I have to force myself to not continue reading it when I have to continue other things because I really want to know what's going to happen. And I'm I'm almost to part three, so some some major things have just happened, and I really want to know what is going to transpire between a couple of the characters. So I'm really enjoying it. I think it is such a beautiful writing style, and I really thought about some of the passages would be such a great example of to use in the classroom because she also writes in like a present tense kind of way that a lot of books are not written in. And I think that that would be a really cool thing to talk about in the class. So I also see applications for it in the classroom, not the whole book, but excerpts. So I've just really been enjoying it. I think it's really well done. And I think it is definitely worth a read. So that is V.E. Schwab's The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. I'm so excited to read that one. one. It's so, oh, <laughs> Ashley, you would love it too. I'm so, yeah. I want to read it so bad. It's so good. And it's just, it's heartbreaking, but it's at times hopeful. I just, I just really think it's well done. Well, just the structure of it. It's so, so smart. It's such a smart book. And it's really unlike anything I've ever read, Mm -hmm. which is another thing that's really interesting. Yeah. All right. So now I'm very excited about this. I have to say, I always love these update episodes to see if you all like the things that I've selected for you. And I like to talk about the stuff that you've selected for me. So we are going to go into our main discussion and we're going to update on our book recs to each other. So in this portion, we are not going to summarize the books because we already did that back in episode 139. So if you haven't listened to that, we really recommend you go listen to 139 and then come back and listen to what we thought of this, these books. So we are just going to talk about our, our general thoughts and feelings about each of these picks so we don't have a three hour long episode. (laughs) All right. So we're each just going to talk about our recommendations and our general thoughts about thoughts and feelings about them. And then we, then we can pipe in if we want to on each other's. So Ashley, do you want to get started on the recommendations that you received? Sure. So Sarah recommended our Eric Thomas's here for it or how to save your soul in America. And she she absolutely loved this one when she had listened to it. Um, I listened to it and told both of us about it, but then had recommended it for me in episode one thirty nine. And I have been wanting to incorporate more nonfiction to my life, so it, that was a great fit in that way. And I also love hearing people talk about their perspectives on race. And he also talks about homosexuality in America. And I thought all of that was really interesting. And so, yeah, I really loved this one. I did. I thought that I had access on audio as well. I knew Sarah had loved the audio and then it turned out I didn't. So I read it instead, but I really enjoyed his humor and his insight. And I thought it was great. I had a lot of fun reading it. So, I mean, I think that what worked really well for me is sometimes we've talked about this on the podcast before. Sometimes when nonfiction is not narrative driven. It is less inviting to the reader if you read a lot of fiction. And so it is not, a you know, it's not driven by a narrative. It is essays fit together. But I think that what really ties all of them together is his 
style and the way that he provides his insights and commentary and humor on each situation that he describes. And so all of that I thought was great. I really had a lot of fun with it and really enjoyed it. It was a great recommendation and a good fit for me and something that I enjoyed. But like I said, I don't read a lot of nonfiction and I am wanting to do more of that. And so it was nice to do it for that as well. So again, that is Here For It by R. Eric Thomas. And I think it's a great fit. When Sarah read it, she said, you know, that it's really good for anyone. And I think that's true, that it's a great book that people would, that anybody could enjoy and get something from. I still have not read that one and I really want to get to it. If you can get your hands on the audio, I, because he reads it and you know, it's, I mean, especially when someone writes with a humorous kind of overtone. Mm-hmm. And I think hearing him read it is just so awesome. It's, he's just so good. I love him so much. Yeah, it made me want to read more of his work because I really appreciated his perspective on things and his style. And he's also really funny if you just, he's a good Twitter follow. So <laughs> the other recommendation from Jen was Kylie Reed's Such a Fun Age. And both Jen and Sarah had read this one, and I had been wanting to read it for quite a while. I mean, since it came out and had heard such great things and just hadn't made time for it. And I read this one as well, and instead of listening to it, and I just thought it was a fascinating story. And I think that. Kylie Reed does a great job of examining race and class in America. And she does it in a way that is relatively light considering all the things that happen in the story. And so I really, I loved it. I loved Amira, the character who is the babysitter in the story. I talked about this a little bit in my book is check-in when I was reading it, that you know pretty quickly how to feel about Amira, who is one of the main characters, but Alix, I realized later, is supposed to be, I think I probably said Alex in the beginning, but it's very clear that it's <laughs> Alix, and that becomes more apparent as the book progresses, <laughs> that she was definitely harder to pin down in the beginning. And I felt that way throughout. I mean, she does some dastardly things in the story, but there is a part that resonates of why she does some of the things she does. And I think that is what Reed is able to do is force the reader to feel some discomfort for why people do what they do and kind of the assumptions they don't realize they're making when they make a choice to do something. And just kind of that idea that it's clear that she believes that she knows better what is good for Amira than Amira knows for herself. And it it's very clear to the reader that that is not the case. And yet, Alix continues to, Mrs. Chamberlain is how Amira refers to her, which all of that is so crazy because Amira is 25 and yet has this really awkward dynamic that almost makes her seem much younger than she is because mm-hmm. of the way their relationship is. I mean, her using the last name, she has a shirt that, Alex gave her that she <laughs> that she wears when she's there and all that stuff. So, and then there's some really interesting developments. So, in the opening scene that which I talked about last time, and I'm sure Jen shared on our 139 on episode 139, in the opening scene in the grocery store, there is a white man who films what happens to Amira, a black woman in the store when she's there with 
with Briar, who is the toddler that she's taking care of. And so then all this stuff evolves with him. And all of that is totally fascinating and complicated. And I think what I really appreciated is that Kylie Reed does not judge what the people are doing. And she doesn't even judge. I think she does a good job of just presenting things as they are each scene in the book without giving a lot of commentary. There's not a lot of, she does not impose a lot of discussion from the perspective of the author or of the narrator to kind of tell you how to feel about things, but instead just puts them out there. And you're seeing a lot about what people are like and how complicated race relations are. And there is an opportunity to do a lot of judging of a lot of the characters, but there's also some grace for the characters too, I think. And I think we kind of can see why they are the way that they are and why they make the choices they do. And all of that's really fascinating. And it does, somebody had said, somebody in a, on social media referenced, it was almost a little bit Jane Austen-like. And I thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. because I do think there's a lot of that same, it's settings and then social situations, but there is all this commentary about class and those dynamics and how they play out for people. And you see that here. And then there were parts that reminded me almost of like the satirical dinner scene comedies. I mean, I thought of Evergreen Tidings that we read before and talked about. And I mean, I feel like I've even seen films that do it, but there are scenes that play out in the book that echo that humorous light of these social dynamics where you're just watching this like craziness happen. There's a Thanksgiving dinner scene that is just hilarious and very cringeworthy. And so I think you have all of that, but also Kylie Reed has this ability to incorporate race and racist attitudes and to use that lens as a way to access a lot of these settings. Mm-hmm. And I think all oh, that's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So- yeah. I think that book is such a balancing act of just so many perspectives done so well, comedy and tragedy, plot and character. Yeah. I, the more I think about it, the more I'm just, I cannot believe that was her first book. <laughs> Yes, I think. And the other thing that really struck me throughout is that Amira and Briar, the the toddler, have this really tender relationship at the core of the story. And it is a relationship that no adult understands but the two of them, you know, but but Amira as the adult and then Briar, who absolutely loves her. And I think that is really interesting, too, because it's like there's all these dynamics, these social dynamics and these class issues that are happening. But at the core, that is also driving the choices that Amira makes is that she loves that little girl and that everything else is secondary to this love that she has for the child. And so I thought all of that was really fascinating. And I think too, like with that book, you're torn as a reader because Alix is making these choices and you just want Amira to get out. Yeah. But then there's this relationship with Briar, which is so adorable and tender and beautiful and, like, and gratifying to her because Briar has her. So, I mean, I think as a reader too, you're, you're torn about what you want her to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a point where I thought, what do I want the result to be here? Because I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's really effective. Like, I think that that works really well because it helps us to understand better why Amira stays in a situation that is otherwise so problematic. Yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, I thought it was really fascinating. 
So again, that was Kylie Reed's Such a Fun Age. Yay. Well, it sounds like that was successful for Ashley. Jen, how about you? Yeah, you all got me also two for two. So I read from Sarah. Sarah recommended Sharon Huss wrote How to Disappear, which is an excellent YA novel about social media in a way that I have not read before. So the main character, Vicky, begins this. So she's she's desolate because her best friend has moved away and she has some of the more extreme social anxiety I've read about in a book. And I thought, first of all, that the author just did an amazing job portraying just how difficult it was and how much she had come to depend on her best friend to get her through every single social situation in her life. There are definitely parts of that I could identify with. And you can see her mother desperately wanting to help her and constantly saying the wrong thing, just saying, well, you just need to get out there and and just totally missing the mark with what her daughter needed, which I've talked often on the podcast about how as a parent now, a lot of these situations resonate from the parent's perspective in a way that I could never have anticipated. And then, so the way that she uses social media is she starts this account under the name Vicarious. And because with her best friend, she had this joke that she always thought a vicarious thing should be vicarious because they happen because you're curious about the other person, which I thought was clever. They're really smart. And she basically starts this account in honor of an introvert who wants new experiences and all of these people who are lonely and who feel like they are outcasts start to feel as if Vicurious sees them. And it becomes this big account that is about supporting other people, not totally about this. There, there are obviously some things that go really wrong, but a lot of it is about supporting other people and being kind to other people and taking a moment to see the person who maybe is fading into the background. And I just thought it was really lovely because I think so often in books, in YA books, we talk about social media as it's always this big threatening thing that's out there that will ruin your life. And it was so nice to see it used in a way that was affirming. It legitimately changed Vicky's life because of the way she used it. It ends up literally saving someone's life. And again, it's not perfect. There are things that go wrong with it, but it becomes a force for good. So I just thought it was really an interesting take on social media I think it's such an empathetic portrayal of a teenage life. I love the secondary characters. She, this is only a tiny spoiler. She eventually starts making some friends in the most awkward of ways that (laughs) there is so much secondhand embarrassment in this book, which really works for me, but it it was painful at times. There were a couple of things that happened that I just almost had to close the book because (laughs) I just couldn't read for a minute, but it's just all really effective. And I just, I just really loved it. I thought it was great. It is so hard to, for me to recommend books to Jen because she is so well read and she's read a lot of the books that I've read. Jen has also read because we've been teachers. So I was happy to find a YA book that she hadn't read that I really thought was great. So I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, Ashley, you would love it. Yeah, it sounds awesome. It sounds really fascinating. And like you said, just like, it sounds like it's a very different take on social media, which I think would be interesting to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. And and I want to 
dive in now into Sharon Hussford's backlist. So she has a couple of other books as well. So, so then Ashley recommended a very different book <laughs> that was equally excellent. So this is Penelope Bagu's Brazen Rebel Ladies Who Rocked the World. And this is basically like a graphic essay collection. I don't want to say it's a graphic novel because it's nonfiction and it's not one continuous narrative. It's all these little essays about these amazing women in history. And parts of it are really funny. There's this great near snarky presentation of their lives and of the events of their lives. And the author just has this great touch with the details that are going to drive home exactly how each woman was brazen, exactly how something that she did changed the world in some way. And some of those ways are very small and some are big. And then they get papered over by the men who come after them in history. And there were some women here who I had heard of and sort of knew their stories. And there were other women I had never heard of and I sort of felt bad. So it was really compelling. I read it all at once just because that's the way I typically read essay collections. But I definitely think this is one for those of you who like to dip into essay collections. You could read one and then put it down and read another. They're not very long, but they are. They cover the women's lives comprehensively. The illustrations are amazing. And Basically, each woman's life is told with these little cells of comics, but at the end, there is a two-page layout for each woman, and the art in those is just stunning. That is a scene that represents the significance of that woman in history, and each essay has sort of its own color palette that are really beautiful as well. So this was one of those that I learned a lot. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. It made me laugh. It just was this great balance of all of these things that I really love about a book. So, yeah, it was a great recommendation. I actually got to see her at the National Book Festival a few years ago, and she was talking. This book had just come out, and she was talking about it, and she was wonderful to listen to. And so it was nice to be able to see the book that she produced. So that is Penelope Begues. Sorry, I'm probably butchering that. Brazen Rebel Ladies Who Rocked the World. Thank you. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I want to read that one too. It's great. Oh my gosh, Sarah, you would love it. It's very much, it's written for adults. So I do think older kids would be fine with it, but you know, there are some that your daughter may not be (laughs) quite ready to dive into, but it was really good. What about you, Sarah? How did yours turn out? Mine turned out just so good. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I loved both of these so much. And the first one is Ashley recommended Danielle Clayton's The Bells. And the funny thing is, is that she recommended it. And I have had that on my shelf since since it came out. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those books I've always wanted to read. But I, I guess I just got kind of going down to the bottom of the TBR stack. I mean, the cover's gorgeous. So every time I would see it, I would think, I got to read that book. But this gave me the push I needed. And holy moly, I adored it. I thought it was so good. And I I mean, but it ends, like just an alert, it ends on a major cliffhanger. And I, <laughs> when I ended it, I was like, what? I have to know what happens. So I immediately read the the Everlasting Rose, which is the second in the series. I read it in one day. I mean, (laughs) it has been a long time since I've had this experience. And that happens to me with fantasy, which is often why I don't start them because I have so many other things I have to read. 
on my plate. So when I read a fantasy book, I tend to just want to read all of them. And I did that. Luckily it was only a duology, but this <laughs> book is so good. I just, I love the world building. And so I love the main character, Camille. She is a bell and I, I love the way that Daniel Clayton builds this world, but also makes a lot of social commentary within it. And I mean, the story is really rich and it's very compelling, but I mean, the underlying message is just very, it's just amazing how she's able to create the message and you, you get the message loud and clear, but also create this whole fantasy world that is really, I mean, doesn't really have a lot of rooting in anything that we understand as human beings in our world. So I adored it. And I just thought it was fascinating. I loved all the characters. I mean, it just was great. And if you haven't listened to the audio, I listened to the audio of The Everlasting Rose, which is why I could read it in a day, because I could also clean and do all the other things I need to do. The audio narrator is phenomenal. She is Oh, she is so good. So there's like a French overtone in the book. And so there are a lot of French words and the narrator, she pronounces all of them impeccably. It's just really good. So I love that. If you can't tell. Yay. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. And it's just, I also feel like in my reading life, it's just like what I needed right at that moment, because it was just so all encompassing and absorbing. And I'm text, I was texting all weekend when I was reading reading of they are probably Ashley and Jen were probably like I wish that she would just stop stop with no, the text so much fun but <laughs> yeah no I feel like it does, it feels really good to be able to recommend something to someone and then have them really enjoy it that's always a great feeling yes it was it was great I really recommend that duology that was a great I still pick. have not read Ever Everlasting Rose so I love the bells but I haven't read book two yet so oh it's so good oh my gosh so good just a side note I hope she makes a third one and also, I would really like someone to option this for some sort of like limited series because it would be amazing. So if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> big movie makers. <laughs> the second one that I read was Rachel Deloche Williams's My Friend Anna. And this, oh my goodness, this one was also so compelling. They both picked these books that just have this. I had this compulsion to read when I was reading my friend, Anna, my husband was like, are you still reading? And I said, I just have to find out what happens. And this is nonfiction, narrative nonfiction. It's kind of a ripped from the headlines, true crime type feel um, book. And basically this is Rachel. Rachel writes the book and she it is her story about her encounter with Anna or a young woman who claimed to be a German heiress and, do all of these extravagant things and only to find that she was just a, a criminal who was trying to swindle people and live beyond her means. And uh, what I loved about this is that it is, was so current because, so I had to stop myself from looking up headlines while I was reading because I wanted to get the full experience of the book without knowing exactly what happened. The minute I shut the book. I opened my laptop and I was Googling, Googling, Googling <laughs> because I had to know what was happening. But I mean, it's all like, it's still kind of current. It's like 2019 
And um, it, I think the story has been optioned a few different places. So I, I'm hopeful that this is going to come out because I really, I want, the whole time I was reading, I was telling my husband about it and he's not a huge reader, but he did find the story fascinating. So I'm hoping that's something we can watch together. But again, another awesome book. If you like books like uh, Bad Blood or if you read American Kingpin, I think all these books with that narrative feel, but nonfiction and kind of with a crime undertone, I think it is so good. And I just, I really love that one too. So both of them were home runs, five Yay. stars, bookish arts. <laughs> and did you, did you read that one or do the audio, Sarah? You read that one. Right? I read that one. The audio is really good too, I should say. Well, and I, it's funny because I posted about it a few times. It, it's funny for both of these, I posted on Instagram I was, as, as I was reading and people really, I mean, overall people love the bells. I mean, they were talking about it and I found that a lot of people had not heard of my friend Anna. So I feel like it's, if we had an underrated books episode, this one would be one because I don't know that people know about it as much because a lot of people said, Oh, I haven't heard from that. I heard about that. I really think that sounds fascinating. So Hopefully, if you're listening today, you will read it because it is really good. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it would be a great book club book, too. I would love mm -hmm. to read it and discuss in a book club. So, Well, I think we can say that this was a resounding success and that we know each other pretty well and what we what each other likes to read and are able to make recommendations. But I'm sure we will do an episode like this sometime in the future. But it does add to our TBR stack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when we do these episodes. Before we end, we just want to end the way that we end every episode. And today we are going to, to choose a movie at home or movie at the theater. I think I could predict these for <laughs> everyone. But um, Jen, what is yours? Yes. Movie at the theater. So I love movies anywhere, but I love movies at the theater and you know that I'm missing them so much right now. So I cannot wait till the world is normal again and I can go to the theater and get a big bucket of popcorn and just dive into the movie and the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, what about you? So I am sure you could predict this, Sarah, that I, unlike most people, would prefer the movie at home. So I'm not a big movie person. And also I have a very short attention span and I like to be able to get up and spread it over multiple days and <laughs> all of those things. So I think I'm very out of practice of going to the theater. I have little kids and so it's been a long time that I've gone very often. And so, yeah, I definitely prefer to watch them at home. What about you, Sarah? Oh, I'm theater all the way because for one thing, I get distracted at home, but I, when I go to the movie theater and it's that immersive experience and I have the popcorn and nobody, I mean, I can watch this with everybody else who wants to watch it. I love that experience. I love going with my friends to the movies because I love having that feeling. Jen and I and our friend Tim went to see Rocket Man not too long before the mm -hmm. pandemic began. I'm um, having that experience with friends who love film is really, I just really miss it so much. Yeah. I mean, maybe soon. Maybe, maybe soon. soon. I'm hopeful. <laughs> I hope so. Okay. Well, if you have any comments on our picks for each other or want to discuss on social media, definitely hit us up. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter on the website and we hope you enjoy today. Thanks for listening.
Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnderbridgePod or on the web at UnderbridgePod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. 